repentance is distinct from forgiveness, mm -hmm. which is distinct from atonement. And they are not linear and they have different processes. And I think that they are really important for us to be okay and for our society to be okay. Hi, I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashivenu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. I am joined by my co-host, Rabbi Sandra Lawson. Hi, Sandra. How are you? Hi, Deborah. It's good to be back as we prepare for the high holidays, the Hagim. I know it's been a while. I'm so I I we just had a lot going on over the summer that kind of took our attention away. And I'm so happy for this opportunity to sit with you in this context. We have other opportunities to work together, but this is a sweet one. Um, and we're going to be talking about the high holidays. We're going to be talking specifically about tshuva, about repentance. Anything you want to share with folks before we dive in? Do you want to well, check as we talked about before, before we start a new podcast, I like to check in with the people I'm talking to. For those of you who can't tell, we are on a Zoom call. We're actually not in person. And so, Deborah, how are you? I'm hanging in. It's um, it's just interesting times. There's just a, so much swirling around. Uh, mostly, I want to say, in terms of society and in terms yeah. of nature, and um, and then how that kind of filters down mm -hmm. into like how I spend my days at work and how I spend my days at home, and how I make sense of of it all. So, um, you know, today's a good day, and there are some days that are harder. How about yeah. you? How are you? I'm good. It's um, Tuesday. In North Carolina, I know it's Tuesday for everyone else too. <laughs> uh, and I have—I'm looking out my window, and some days have been very cloudy. Today is pretty sunny, um, and you know it's—it's it's the month of Elul, and it's like for me, uh, you know, uh, I often use this time for reflection and you know my goals for the coming year versus the secular cal calendar, uh, you know, of December January. Um, and so it's it's a good time to think about where I where I am, where I've been, where I've been, and you know where I'm going. Yeah, I agree completely that it's a good time for meaning making. I think, um, mm -hmm. and what I'm aware of as I talk about like the swirl is like there's a lot of incoherence out there, mm -hmm. and I don't I don't necessarily presume that I or even we are going to be able to come to like a grand narrative of coherence. And yeah. what I do love about this month that approaches the high holiday season is that it is an opportunity to settle down and get quiet and evaluate and discern. And like, even so just for my own, my own meaning making and my own connection to others and my own priorities and my own mistakes and missteps and mm -hmm. hurts and harms that I've caused other people. How do you go about doing it? Well, it's interesting because this is like next to, you know, what I hear saying sort of quietness and settling down. I'm kind of in that space too, but all around us, things are gearing up. I mean, students just went back to school at RRC and everyone else. There's like more traffic here. I'm sure there's more traffic in Philly. I've seen kids waiting for their bus, um, which, you know, and it's been a really quiet summer. And as I'm starting to reflect, there's just more noise. Yeah. Um, around and you know it's just interesting how sometimes the Jewish calendar is just very different than the secular world we live in which is can be a blessing because I think it creates more intention of uh, focusing on the mitzvah of of Shiva and Heshbon and Efesh and reflecting as we gear in as we move into the high holidays 
I think that's right. And like, those are the themes I think like Rosh Hashanah, mm-hmm. what I often focus in on when I'm, when I'm leading services or when I'm giving a teaching there, I'm talking about all the newness today yeah. is the Hayom Harat Olam. Today is the birthday of the world and all the potential and all the creativity. And, you know, that's day one of the next mm-hmm. month. And then on the 10th day is, is Yom Kippur. It's that day of, mm-hmm. day of atonement. And so I, I love that actually one of the, I love that about Judaism. And I, I think we're, we're living it out. Like there's this like, let's be in the world and all its potential and let's retreat from the world and, 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 and be still and quiet and reflect and, and both are there and we're encouraged to kind of live fully into both, but, but how to actually do that is yeah. not always so easy. You've mentioned journaling is a really important practice for you. Yeah, so journaling is kind of interesting because I journaled religiously from a child when an English teacher introduced me to the process and probably until my late 20s. I mean, just consistent. And then there was a period where I stopped and um, and then I sort of picked it up again as we moved into the sort of electronic era of journaling. And so, but it didn't have the same it didn't feel the same. So now I have, when I do journal, I um, sort of set an intention, like journaling for this month. Uh, I mean, I have journal notebooks, like in bins. <laughs> they go on for days. Uh, yeah. uh, and, you know, one day I'll look back and look at what 20-year-old Sandra was completely obsessed about. One day you will um, find an, a repository to give your papers yes. to, and they will be so <laughs> grateful for, for all of that, all of those, uh, those, those, those notebooks. Yeah. So, but I do I, think journaling is, is really important. Um, and I also want to say, too, that like I think what's replaced some of that is my use of my writing stuff on, on Twitter and blogs and Facebook and all that. I think that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about this offline a lot about how I don't have very much of a social media mm-hmm. profile. I mean, I have my Facebook pages mm-hmm. almost exclusively for reconstructing Judaism related stuff or, mm-hmm. you know, when we, when we post a new episode, I post it, but I, I'm not on Twitter mm-hmm. because I just think it'll just take too much out of me and cost mm-hmm. me too much. And that the, I, I, uh, for me, I don't think it would be a pathway toward self-awareness or wisdom. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to hear you say that the doing this with others listening in mm-hmm. is, is, is useful to you. So I have, I just, one thing, one thing I want to add in terms of like journaling as a resource is like, I, I used to, I used to, for about 10 years, I was a very serious journaler. And now I feel like I write so much that mm-hmm. it feels like homework rather than a, again, a path toward, I, for me right now, meditation is a, a, mm-hmm. a very important uh, modality. But I do have a, one journal that I keep on my shelf that is my Yom Kippur journal, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so and every year and I and I tend to prefer it uh, longhand because I don't really want to be on the computer. I mean, mm-hmm. the last couple mm-hmm. years during COVID, I was on the computer for Yom Kippur, but and so I have like going back fifteen years or so, maybe even wow. I mean, one of them I remember like doing in my apartment before I started rabbinical school. So that was thirty <laughs> years ago, and these like these entries from Yom Kippur year mm-hmm. to year, I'm like one on. And then you know, it's wow. one of the things, you know, you go back and it's it's often the same thing, you know, it's yeah. and there it is, it's like the cycle of the year. And chuva, like we're gonna talk about repentance. Chuva, the Hebrew word for 
repentance is tshuva, which is translated as turning. Mm -hmm. And we can also think about it as returning. And, and mm -hmm. so, you know, it's, it's not a surprise. We are who we are. It's not yeah. a surprise that mm -hmm. I keep circling around the same things again and again. So. Mm -hmm. Well, so what, one of the things we want to uh, unpack and then kind of explore is Jewish approaches to repentance, because it's, it is really, um, there's, there is a lot of Jewish wisdom mm -hmm. um, and it is distinct from how American society tends to be thinking about when we're talking about uh, making amends and mm -hmm. it, where the American focus tends to be more on the forgiveness piece. I've been reading Rabbi Danya Rutenberg's new book, on repentance and repair, making amends in an unapologetic world. And she, in her introduction, she does this amazing analysis of where the American uh, understanding comes from. She is, this. her book is, it's really ex extraordinary. And it's about drawing on the teachings of uh, Moses Maimonides, a 12th century, this incredibly 12th, important 12th century rabbi and teacher and writer and uh, editor and redactor and he brought, and everything he brought together in his Hilchot Shuvah, his, his laws of repentance. Mm -hmm. Like she's, she's raising up um, Maimonides. He makes the really important point that repentance is distinct from forgiveness, mm -hmm. which is distinct from atonement. And, you know, where American society often kind of mushes them together mm -hmm. and, and prioritizes uh, forgiveness, like that these are distinct and they are they are not linear and they and they have different processes and they are really uh really really important i think that they're, they're, they're the focus of yom kippur in this whole season and they i think that they are really important for us to be okay and for mm -hmm. our community to be okay and for our society to be okay yeah i mean can you imagine like just my work here if our society had actually done the work of Shiva, the actual work, um, and we haven't even done the work, we haven't even asked for forgiveness, you know, for the for the harm that's caused to the indigenous population, the harm that's caused to enslaved people, the harm that's caused to Chinese Americans, the harm that's been caused to Japanese Americans. And so I could go on, and I think that there's been a hierarchy placed on like asking for forgiveness for different groups. I mean, like how our government has tried to repent for the harm that's caused was caused to Japanese Americans, but not so for others. I'm just thinking about that. Um, but if our society actually did the, the work of internally reflecting account, an internal accounting called the Heshbon and Nefesh um, of our, of where we have missed the mark, actually seeing ourselves as we are, where we are in our place and time, who we want to be and where we want to be, and seeking forgiveness, asking for forgiveness. And then when presented with the opportunity again, we don't make that same mistake. If we had done that, we would not be continuing to make the same mistakes over and over and over, over again. Over and over and over again. Um, I think at, the, at its core, this whole process, every element is about transformation. It's about change. And so yeah. there has to be this willingness to um, accept that change is going to come. And sometimes that changes. It's really mm -hmm. hard. It's you know, like, you know, it's not just about yeah. like, oh, 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 I'm going to apologize or I'm going to ask for forgiveness and then move on individually or socially. And so the, the work of real tra structural transformation that would need to happen for that kind of accountability 
Mm-hmm. Um, like there's not necessarily the willingness to right. do it and it doesn't serve us well because because you, you, like you said it we just keep going back to it and finding different ways mm-hmm. to bring it to life and and cause the cause the harm all over again um I mean I think it's probably worth it to spell out like I, you, Sandra you kind of narrated some of it and just to kind of mm-hmm. break it down into Maimonides like like he says mm-hmm. it's five steps like one is like the first is naming and yes. owning like the harm. And that is um, like one of the things that we fall into in American society is like conflating intent versus mm-hmm. impact. Yes. And and so people will say, like, oh, I didn't mean it. Or like, oh, so I'm not I'm like, you know, I'm not racist because mm-hmm. I didn't mean to cause any of that harm. And that the focus is actually like even as we're talking about a process that is about mm-hmm. individual transformation. Um, it's, it's about really trying to pay attention to the impact mm-hmm. on the other person, what, which is more important than whatever we think we're doing or whatever is going on for us. Um, and that, that's hard sometimes to, to really mm-hmm. face up to the fact that we're causing harm on either at an individual or a communal level. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then number two, the second step is, um, starting to try to change, like, all mm-hmm. right. So then if I've caused that harm, then what? It's not necessarily about seeking forgiveness. And the person who you've harmed might not even want to, they have the right to say no, you know, they have the right to say I need this. But so then it's about like accepting the consequences and trying to make it better. Yeah. Um, not just like, not just, no, not, not just a performance of like, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. And then, then it's about apologizing and the forgiveness may come and the forgiveness may not come, but, but it's about exerting yourself and not, not just like doing that work mm-hmm. on your own, but remembering that it's relational and going forward to try to reestablish that relationship, possibly on new terms. And then, as you said, it's that shuva, uh, that shuva gemurah, that full shuva is mm-hmm. that capacity to make a different choice. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And I think that, um, that repentance um, you know, during the Achet, uh, when we're when we are um, expressing our sins and the, when we've missed the mark and 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 services, and when you hit your chest, it reminded me of it that that doing that in community is incredibly powerful uh, because you're not standing there by yourself, um, and your community is holding you up, and your community is all confessing the the harm that has been caused to others or the sins, and that is just a, an incredibly powerful. And often when people leave services after confessing the sins, then they just go about their business yeah. uh, instead of like really do thinking about what has happened and how that is transformational. Whenever I have been in community during that period, I'm crying because I'm actually yeah. thinking about um, the harm that I may have caused. And I say that may because I often don't know. But if I'm thinking about it, then, I, then there, there might have actually been harm. And I need to try to figure out how not to to do that again. I'm so moved to hear you, like how seriously mm-hmm. you take it. I think you make two incredibly important points. Like one is like the centrality of community. And like, that is, I, I mean, I often talk about like why I'm so grateful to be Jewish is because of the centrality of community. And it feels like, it feels just absolutely essential to me um, in general. And it feels essential to me because of the American focus on individualism. Mm-hmm. And like, this is hard work and to do it by ourselves is, right. is like, I mean, lots of things are hard and to do any of it by ourselves is hard. And, and so, so to be like supported, I have a similar experience with the Al-Khait, the, that, that long list of sins mm-hmm. and it's all in the collective and it's long and it's, mm-hmm. um, and the language is, you know, 
some of it like hits home, like, you know, about gossip and some of it is like really archaic language and Mm -hmm. it doesn't. And for many years I had, I was so blessed to have this lovely community in um, outside of Syracuse where I was their high holiday rabbi. And after Kol Nidra and Erev Yom Kippur, the night after the night service, I would invite people to take a slip of paper Mm -hmm. uh, and to write what they were repenting and they would leave them I, and um, like in a basket. And then I would go back to where I was staying and I would um, print them all out and I would assemble them in some kind of meaningful mm-hmm. order. And so at one point during the Yom Kippur ceremony, we would, instead of doing like a couple of different times during the service, we would do the traditional one, but at least one of the mm-hmm. time I would read aloud what they had collectively created and the entire room would weep okay. uh, because, uh, because it, it, you know, it made it really, really real. And it, again and again, there were these themes that would come out and people were working so hard and it, it, they were doing hard work. Yeah. So like, I can hear how seriously you take your own shuva. And then there's also how we move through the world when we've been wrong. There's like the wrong that we're doing or the harm that we're causing. And then there's like surviving and healing from mm-hmm. navigating the harm that we ourselves have experienced. And, and so that's, you know, that's part of the point of this whole podcast is about resilience and our focus on with the racial equity lens. And that's harder. Like, like the thing about Shuva is like our own repentance is what we have the greatest amount of control over and where we can really exert ourselves. But, and then, and then it's much more complicated in the ways that we ourselves are harmed. Um, If I've been harmed, um, it is important to me to uh, find a way to forgive. I'm not trying to say that that it happens immediately. Um, And there's this quote from Jack Kornfield that goes something like true forgiveness is giving up all hopes of a different outcome. And by not forgiving and holding on to it, just causes ourselves harm. I mean, this when I'm, I'm pausing because I'm thinking about people who've been wrongfully convicted, who come out of prison, um, and no one would fault them if they've been in prison for 20 years for a crime that they said they never committed. No one would fault them if they came out angry um, or hostile or bitter. But time and time again, um, and in my mind, I, this seems to always be men, black men, they have forgiven the system and they have not come out harmful and better instead they have they've come out very hopeful um and i think that is because they have forgiven because it is it would be hard to hold on to that bitterness and anger for you know 20 years or more i am i I love that example you gave i am so I'm so blown away by that capacity. And then there, there too, it's about, um, Christina, I hope it's, I hope it's okay. I hope my wife will feel okay about me quoting her. She often says like how blown away she is by people's capacity to be resilient and to be oriented toward forgiveness. Cause she feels like, like every day you see abuses that would cause, mm-hmm. could, could cause people to blow up and how infrequently people really do blow up. Like we, that's what the headlines are about all the ways that people fall apart. But and in and, and, and really destructive ways. But the flip side of it is all the ways that people rise up against um, structural mm-hmm. oppression and against individual pain and sorrow. And again and again, choose relationship and choose mm-hmm. and choose connection and choose compassion. It's so, mov- those stories are so moving to me. Um, 
Is there a story that you would want to share either from your own experience, like of doing chuva or of having someone come to you or not come to you that we you know when, when there's need of repair? So this is what came up for me when you when you mentioned Christina. So I hope my, if my brother's listening, he might get mad at me, but oh well. <laughs> and I've shared this for people publicly, but never on a broadcast. You know, the, my mother um, who passed away um, and I have said that she was a hard woman to love. And the other side of that, she was also incredibly abusive, um, physically and emotionally and verbally to both my brother and I. And I don't think either of us understood what the impact was on either of us until she, we went to her when, when she was in hospice. Um, and my brother and I both took care of my mother. Uh, when she was stricken with cancer the first time I brought her to live with me. And then when she was getting sicker the second time around after remission, my brother moved in with her. And so I told my wife that like, in order to do that, um, and and my brother and I, neither one of us had an extremely close relationship with my mother, but we also understood that um, obligation, but also to to do that meant that we had to forgive her and and be there and take care of her if we had been two different sets of children we could have been like no um and that was hard i mean that was really yeah. really hard because you know those two years brought up all kinds of stuff that i hadn't thought about but i um had forgiven her in my own way and um um and i i just i wrote this piece uh for interfaith America magazine that talks about like souls, do souls live on after they pass? And, um, you know, I talk about, yes, my mother's soul lives on because I'm having conversations with her that I never had. I imagine conversations didn't exist. I still talk to her, uh, seeking her advice, even though that was not the relationship we had. And, um, and so, uh, that, yeah, and kind of thinking about that. And, I also had uh, an experience that I had, um, this was not about the harm that I had caused, but it was about the harm that I put in, I felt like I was putting into the world. Um, you know, as the president of the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College, rabbinical school is hard. Like, mm-hmm. it's true. <laughs> um, it is hard. Um, and I was, um, at the period of time, I don't think very happy, and I found myself being very critical of others. I, I wasn't shouting it out loud, but I would be very judgmental of people I didn't know, which was not like me. It was it was not yeah. like me at all, and I was very frustrated by that. Um, and I um, had a, a conversation with my spiritual director about that, um, and from that, I actually started I created my own way of trying to change that and so um, I don't really do this practice anymore but the remnants of it still remain I didn't wear beaded bracelets before this and I had I had spent some time with um, some Catholic priest students and was sort of fascinated by rosary 
and I had spent some time with um, some, uh, I don't know if an imam was there or whatever, but they also had that and like and prayer beads in Islam. Right. And I was like, huh. So I um, ordered some beads online, made a, blessed them in my own way. And then every morning when I, and it was a, a long bracelet, so I had to wrap it around. I can, I can picture, I remember it on your wrist. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would say, you know, um, yeah, I think it most like moda ani lefanecha ruachaya, but 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 I would also that, that, that's the prayer for the morning prayer for gratitude. Yes, I would offer the morning prayer for gratitude and close it with my own understanding that we're all created in the image of the divine. Um, and my wife, <laughs> you know, during this time, um, who doesn't know the Hebrew she knows is a Hebrew that I repeat all the time. But if I had if I had said something snarky about and I'm not a snarky person, but if, if I said something, she would say back to me, create an image of God. <laughs> I love your wife. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and so that helped me to stop. Yeah. And now I can check myself better. And I really um, try to live by this idea, not just that. I think it's easy to say we're all created in the image of divine, but I think if we remember that what we're all What does it mean? What right, does it mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not more than just words. I mean, yeah. so what you so it's so beautiful. And you didn't say like what time of year it was. And it sounds to me like it happened like whenever it happened, when you realize like this is where you were where you where you were dwelling and it wasn't serving you well and it wasn't serving the community well and you mm -hmm. changed it. And that's what I love about this season is that like you know, I think mm -hmm. you're really kind of built that way. And some of us are, and some of us aren't. And like Elul is a kick in the pants to say like, okay, are, are you mm -hmm. looking? That's an amazing story. And I think that that goes to that point of like, that's what we can control the most is mm -hmm. like what our practices are, what our attitudes are, what our behavior is, how, how what we're going to create. I mean, I, I, I totally get that. I think that I can hear it when I'm griping at other people and mm -hmm. you know, like, and when my internal narrative is, uh, you know, it was negative. Mm -hmm. It is, if I can stop like this invitation to say like, what is going on and what mm -hmm. do I need and how can I shift this? And, and sometimes it's about understanding. And sometimes it's actually about my, my yoga teacher likes to say, you fake it till you make it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like you stand up and you like, assume a good posture even mm -hmm. if you're not feeling bright inside and the more you do that the more possibility that you can feel bright inside and so sometimes i don't understand what's going on but just the um the shift in behavior can mm -hmm. can 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 help to move me toward a different place um we will do exactly let's kind of end and hopefully it won't be too much of a downer but let's end um about like with some reflections on Shuva and racial justice work. And that is certainly, uh, I mean, I've heard you speak powerfully about how internalized racism can be for, for people of color, for black folks. But I, I think that, you know, that they, there's all kinds of personal work that I as a white person have to be doing mm -hmm. to try to be aware of how much systemic racism like influences and impacts how I see the world and to try to pay attention mm -hmm. to the kind of privilege that I get from, from my, from my white skin. Um, and then, but also like to kind of open it up to like a, a little bit more of a communal mm -hmm. structure, a communal conversation. And I'm just wondering, like the thing about, Chuva is there is a there's an inherent optimism built into it 
there is a belief that with effort and with discipline and with commitment, change can happen, that transformation can happen. And the thing that I think one of the most important teachings from Maimonides for me is that like, even if you like atone and even, even if you really do the repentance and even if you're really able to affect the atonement and even if you get the forgiveness, that doesn't mean that things go back to the way they were. Right. Like that at the end, this is about transformation and things looked at, we are different and the world is different, but there is this in, in, inherent optimism that that change can happen. Like, it's not just, oh, well, that's the way it is. We got to live with it. And I guess I want to ask you about like, how does, um, how do the lessons of Chuva like inform the work that you're doing as the director of racial diversity, equity, and inclusion? Like, is, is it a resource and is, do you have evidence of change? Do you have hopes about change, like on, on, a, on a communal and a structural level? You know, we've had a lot of conversations and I asked this not knowing how you're going to answer. Yeah. So I am, I am hopeful. I mean, there's so many examples of, I mean, like it's, we take two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, two steps back, however that goes, however that saying goes, although I'm thinking about Paula Abdul right now. <laughs> <laughs> we could have a soundtrack um, for the podcast. But when I, when I, when I think about um, Shiva and when it comes to racial, racial justice work, uh, my focus, first of all, is primarily within our Jewish spaces. Um, I, I find have found that many Jews who benefit from white privilege tend to continue to look outward on, you know, racial justice in, in the larger world, which is fine. But, you, but that also needs to be uh, with our own internal work. And so, with that said, you know, when I think about when the platform, when the movement for Black Lives um, had their platform. Um, came out with their platform. And the, the, the number of Jews who were white um, who bought into the platform being anti-Semitic. And it, and it actually, there was a line in the platform, which I don't remember, and I'm not gonna hold, give it any power, but that, that was problematic, but the overall platform um, was, was what was, or should have been important. Um, many, in, many, some in the Jewish community realized that they had not, done the work of connecting with black and brown people, had not done the work um, to uh, have true allyship with black and brown people, to build relationships with black and brown people. So those Jews, and there weren't a lot of them, but those Jews then did the work over the next few years, helping the platform to take that line out and doing the work of saying, we don't know what the next platform is going to be, but we promise to not, uh, we, we promise to stay in this fight with you. We promise to stay connected to black and brown people. And that brought along other Jews who are white. And so today there's more people who understand that, um, that racial justice work is incredibly important and that that happened from that pain and and that work and a lot of some of it when the uh many many people who were white in the jewish community were su surprised by the trayvon martin uh george zimmerman decision which i think the anniversary just came up but anyway so that is it's been 10 years right that was 2012 yeah and i'm clumless clumlessly clumsily saying <laughs> Yeah. That, that work um, shows that there's hope and it's not perfect and people still make mistakes. 
Um, there are more Jews of color in, in working in Jewish organizations today than before, um, but we still have work to do. And I'm hopeful for that, but racism is still a thing. Like I still encounter white Jews who may not understand how they react to me is racist because of my skin color. Uh, even though they might not see themselves that way. So anyway, that's so I'm saying all that to say it from I can see the growth and we still have a ton of work. So to much do. work to do. So much work to do. I mean, that's really moving to me that you see that. I mean, I, I see it too. Like now that you say it, like I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember. Mm-hmm. I remember 10 years ago. I remember, you know, uh, when Michael Brown was like, you know, like all these different markers and how what the reaction, how different the response was when, when George was killed. It's just so brutal mm-hmm. that we just keep talking about these murders. I will say though, um, uh, one response that I just want to, like one thing I want to add on is like, I feel like the teachings and the mechanisms of chuva is what gives me, it's not the right word. It's too big a word courage, but like, it, it's like, mm-hmm. it's an essential tool for me right. in doing racial justice work. Cause I presume I'm going to screw it up. I don't, I, I, I try to be really, really careful, but I was talking, uh, I think I told you this in private conversation. I was talking with friends of mine who are acquaintances and I saw them at a graduation party and they are psychologists. And one of them is in a position of national leadership. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how, and they're both white uh, folks and how, how, little movement there has been in their sector Mm -hmm. and how much movement needs to happen around racial equity work and how hogtied they feel, how uh, frightened and paralyzed everybody feels because they're so afraid of messing it up. And I was like, you're just, but, but what what that means is you're just letting things keep happening and yes, you will mess it up and you might get caught out on the carpet and it might be constructive. Like you're always constructive, Sandra. Mm-hmm. And some folks, you know, like the, and like we said, like the, 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 some folks, they live into the legitimate rage. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, but you, I presume that if, and when, when I get it wrong, you know, like I'm going to have the community around me and mm-hmm. I'm going to have teachers and, and, and friends like you who I can, uh, take it apart. And part of that goes back to your point at all times about like the centrality of relationship and that I'm going to be able to learn from it and I'm going to be able to um, atone. And again, it's not an excuse to be sloppy or careless, but it's like, it's like, oh, if, and when this happens, there's a pathway back. And I'm so grateful that that's like kind of like, that's, that is like one of my first tools in my toolkit. The, the work that we're doing with congregations, um, which uses a uh, the process of Heshbon and Nefesh, Heshbon and Nefesh, the accounting of our internal accounting of our souls. One of the things that I have heard from congreg- congregational leaders is that after being told that they are going to mess up, how freeing that is. Yeah. You know, it, that's the so wor- being so worried about messing up, and I'm like, you're going to, I'm like, oh. Like, and that, I mean, I don't don't know what the reality is for people in their lived experience, but the sort of relief of like, you are going to mess up and continue doing this work. Because when you don't, when you're so worried about messing up, you don't make change, you don't do anything, you sort of freeze in your shame. Yeah, there's all these like teachings, like in in, um, corporate culture and everything about like failing forward and like how much... Mm how much we learn from the mistakes and yeah. look the costs are like you know like to make mistakes for you know when you're trying to undo systemic oppression like obviously you don't want to be you know making it worse and perpetuating it 
but being paralyzed is is allowing you know like that that's also not a choice um so educate yourself as much as possible and locate yourself in community as much as possible and be committed to the work of chuva and then it is liberating and 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 all kinds of things open up oh sandra thank you so much for, for talking and for you know educating me and for giving me so much to think about. And I also want to thank um, our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for, in, in, in this conversation. And Deborah, thank you, because what many people don't know is that um, I think we, we have wonderful conversations in our day-to-day -day job, um, but to sort of also have other people sort of be a fly on the wall uh, on this podcast to hear um, some of those conversations, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, for me too. I think so. So may this um, season of reflection. Happy <laughs> uh, May this season of reflection and repentance be full of meaning to all of you. Shana tova umetuka, a sweet and a happy and a healthy new year. I'm just going to take that in for a moment um, and wish you all um, sweet and wonderful new year. And may you find. Um, blessings and enjoy all the gratitude and the blessings that this season has to offer. Shana my friends, and um, until next time. For more information on today's episode, including article links and resources, you can go to Hashivenu's website, which is hashivenu.fireside.fm, and you can also find more resources on the newly redesigned reconstructingjudaism.org, and also the newly redesigned ritualwell.org, and, and on evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org that had already been redesigned. So please, please also subscribe. We promise to be sending out more uh, episodes than we have of late. So subscribe and rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman. And I'm Rabbi Sandra Lawson. And you've been listening to Hashivenu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience. Hashivenu.